Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. of you that are still here must have uh, gotten a higher number than some others. All right, so you've survived, so we're glad you're still here. Uh, And uh, well, every father that I've ever met wants their child's first words to be dad. Haven't met a father yet that was okay if the child said mom first. All right, I, I don't know what that's about, but every dad wants their fir- the first word to be dada, and every mom wants the first words to be mama, right? So, but, but here's, the, here's the truth of the matter. Soon after they say, whether they're the best children in the world and they say dad first, or they're, they're second, you know, second best and they say mom first, doesn't really matter. At some point in the equation, it doesn't take very long that there's another word that they learn very soon after that first word. And that word is this, mine. Mine, right? It, 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 uh, every toy wanted by a sibling or a playmate uh, calls for this escalating scream of mine, glass breaking, mirrors breaking, eardrums breaking, screaming, it's mine, it's mine. Doesn't matter that they're surrounded by toys that no, have never been touched, that have never been played with, that are still brand new in their wrappings. It doesn't really matter, it's mine, it's mine. We want ours, this declaration of territory and ownership. Uh, It doesn't take us very long to reveal the selfish tendencies that we have. It also does not take very long uh, in our society that, uh, as we learn to say mine so quick, for that me, myself, and I mentality to be driven deep down inside of us. And what it does is it produces a society that is self-absorbed, self-centered, and self-consumed. Uh, it's this mantra of do you. I got I to gotta do me, and you got to do you. It's all about me. I'm going to get mine. Met anybody like that yet? Surrounded by people like that yet? I've met a bunch of people like that. It's all about what I want, when I want it, and it's about you making sure that I get mine. It, le- it has led to a new generation, the selfie generation. We don't even take pictures of anybody but us. It's ridiculous. You go to our, our, our uh, stream on, our, what's it called, our, our albums on Facebook and on, on Instagram, and, and, and it's picture after picture, the goofy ones, where they're up like this, and they're making the, the silly mouths, and all these stupid looks, but it's all about us. We, we, we just, we want, we want it about us. We want it about us. Well... We think our own happiness is all that's really at stake and all that matters. And so when somebody comes along and they say what I'm getting ready to say to you, we shake our heads and we go, we, we can't really agree with that. It's um, an author. This author by the name of Albert Camus wrote this uh, many years ago. He wrote this. Uh, he, he said, to be happy, 
we must not be too concerned with others. And we go, oh, see, you did it. You went, mm, that's not right. But then, even though we disagree with the statement when it's right out in front of us, I've noticed that we tend to live our lives as if that's true. And we become self-consumed. But, but what if you only had 30 days left to live? What if the clock was ticking down, time is almost over, the last few days of your life you realize uh, now there's clarity because I've, I told you last week that the, the diminishing time in our life produces clarity. The older you get, uh, I, I know that uh, the young folks in the room are invincible and nothing's ever going to happen to them, but for those of us where the clock is ticking and we realize that we're closer to the end than the beginning, now there's clarity and we suddenly, we should at least, we should realize that those that come after us matter. But for whatever reason, most of us still don't get it. It's the proverbial sticker that you've seen driving down the road with the, the, the big uh, RV, the one that's like 92 feet long and you know it gets like a half a mile to the gallon and every time they stop to fill up. Have you ever been in one of those things in the gas station? It's an, it's an eye-opening experience. It costs like $400 to fill it up. And on the back of the RV, there's the sticker that says, I'm spending my kid's inheritance. And although it's funny, it's a way of life. It truly reveals that we don't stop and think about those coming after us like we should. Scripture provides a contrast. There's a, a, a contrast. There's a portion of Scripture I'm going to read to you this morning that I have read to you on multiple occasions, but I want to uh, contrast it with the way we're supposed to live. I want to show you how we're supposed to live. All right, I, I want to take you into Scripture and show you that when, when it gets really down to brass tacks about what really matters in life, this is how we're supposed to live. And then I want to show you a contrast to that and the results if we don't. Okay, so Psalm chapter 78, verses 1 through 7, David comes along and he reveals to us the way that we should live. Listen to this very closely. He says, listen, dear friends, to God's truth. Bend your ears to what I tell you. I'm chewing on the morsel of a proverb. I'll let you in on the sweet old truth. Stories we heard from our father's counsel, we learned at our mother's needs. Now, there's more, but let's stop right there for one, just one second and say, look where he learned wisdom. Stories that we've heard from our father's counsel, we learned at our mother's need. We're not keeping this to ourselves we're passing it along to the next generation. God's fame, his fortune, the marvelous things he has done. He planted a witness in Jacob, set his word firmly in Israel, then commanded our parents, this is what God said to the parents, to the parents to teach it to, the, to, to their children so that the next generation would know and all the generations to come. What does he want them to know? He wants them to know the truth. Tell the story so that their children can trust in God. Never forget the works of God, but keep his commands to the letter. Heaven before, forbid that they should be like their parents, bullheaded and bad. 
a fickle and faithless bunch who never stayed true to God. Did you see the plan? This is how we're supposed to live. Generations teaching coming generations. Fathers teaching sons. Mothers teaching daughters. There's this passing on that as we testify and we declare the works of the Lord and His faithfulness, like we sang about this morning, as parents stand with their arms raised and declare that he, it is well with my soul and you're faithful, that the children see us do that. The young men see the old men do that. The young women see the young, the, the old women do that. And, and, and in that, we pass it on from generation to generation. King David is basically trying to implore us to look over our shoulders and take care of the generations that are coming along behind us. Now, some of you sitting in this room right now are literally in your own heart saying, well, I don't have any children. So let me fast forward real quick to the New Testament when Paul chimes in and he begins to give instructions to the New Testament church that even if you don't have uh, physical, natural children, you have, super, you have spiritual children in your life. Therefore, he declares in the New Testament church that the old men should gather the young men and teach them how to live and be an example to them and illustrate for them what a godly life looks like. He says to the older ladies, hey, older ladies, there are young ladies watching you and they, you should gather them and teach them and counsel them and show them how to live, we teach from generation to generation, so nobody's off the hook. If you have no children, you're not off the hook. That is the standard that we are called to live up to. Here is the contrast. The contrast is in the Old Testament, there is another king who I'm afraid that due to the selfishness of his own heart, uh, and now due to the selfishness of our society, his style of life has now... been has so permeated our lives that it now permeates the house of God and we tend to live like this king rather than we do like David and I want to just show you the contrast it's a passage of scripture that I've referenced to you on numerous occasions read to you before but I want to read it again I could have found another passage but this is the passage that speaks to me and how we seem to conduct our life now in 2018 and it's dangerous because here we see the result but we don't we don't wrestle through the concept revealed in this account I want us to this morning with time ticking down we need to make a decision to live like David rather than like this king or we're in trouble. One man said it like this. He said, uh, the, the, the Christi- Christianity is one generation, always one generation from extinction. Our, our ability to carry forward, to carry on, to, to continue is based on our willingness to live like David rather than to live like this other king. Let me read it to you. Isaiah chapter 38. Uh, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read down through verse 6, and then we're going to see the results of what takes place in verse 39, verses 5 through 8. It says this, At that time, Hezekiah got sick, and he was about to die. And the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, visited him and said, God says, prepare your affairs because you've got 30 days to live. Okay, that's basically, prepare your, your affairs and your family. This is it. You're going to die. He got the low number out of the bag. You're not going to get well. This was Hezekiah's response. He turned away from Isaiah and facing the wall, he prayed to God, God, please, I beg you, remember how I've lived my life. 
I've lived faithfully in your presence. I've lived out of a heart that was totally yours. You've seen how I've lived, the good that I've done. And Hezekiah wept as he prayed painful tears. Because when the time starts ticking down, you get clarity. Then God told Isaiah, go and speak with Hezekiah and give him this message from me. God, the God of your ancestor David, I've heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Here's what I'll do. I'll add 15 years to your life. And I'll save both you and this city from the king of Assyria. I have my hand on this city. So now we fast forward just a, just a, a little ways into chapter 39. And I'll give you the backdrop here in just a second. But after experiencing that and his life being spared, this is what happens. Isaiah 39. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, now listen to this message from God of the angel armies. I have to warn you that the time is coming when everything in this palace, along with everything your ancestors accumulated before you, will be hauled off to Babylon. God says that there will be nothing left. Nothing. And not only your things, check this out, but your sons. Contrast that what David has said. He says, not only your things, but your sons. Some of your sons will be taken into exile, ending up as eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Hezekiah replied to Isaiah, listen to what he said. Good. If God says so, it's good. Within himself, here, here it is, here's the, I'm spending my children's inheritance sticker in Hezekiah, Hezekiah's life right now. I'm sure he had one on the back of his chariot. Because this is, what, he, this is what, it, what it says. Within himself he was thinking, but nothing bad will happen in my lifetime. I will enjoy peace and stability as long as I live. Do you see the contrast? Here's the backdrop. Hezekiah was about to die, and he begs God for mercy. Check this out. And God responds and says, you don't just have 30 days to live now. I'm going to intervene, and I'm going to extend your number so that you have 15 more years to live. Let me tell you, folks, that's a miracle. I, I am facing death within the next few days. I'm going to be I'm going to be destroyed. I'm, my life is going to be cut off. But now God steps in and says, hey, wait a minute. I'm going to stop my plan. I'm going to change my plans for you. And I'm now going to extend your life for 15 years. That is a miracle. And uh, another way to say that is like this. In other words, Hezekiah experiences God's power firsthand. But now we fast forward, and his own pride gets in the way. And I won't go into all what he does, but he shows all of his riches to a visiting king. And so Isaiah is sent back to give another word, and this word is this. Due to your sin, your children will be taken into captivity, and they will become not only slaves, but they will also become eunuchs. We don't hear that word much anymore, eunuchs. Most of us have no concept of what he's even saying there, but let me just say it like this. He is basically saying that, that they, they will be unable to be fruitful and they will be unable to multiply. 
So in other words, the word is, is I'm going to cut this generation off right here. And in Hezekiah's own selfishness, and without this ability to look after those that are coming after him, only concerned about himself, he says, the word of the Lord is good. No, it's not. But he says, the word of the Lord is good because I will experience peace and stability in my day. That is selfishness on display. There's no, there's not even any thought to those coming after him. He hears his children will be held in bondage. They will be unable to reproduce or be fruitful. But he says, as long as everything's good for me, then it's a good word. Can I, do I, can, talk about a contrast. David says, look after those that are coming. Teach them, remind them of God's faithfulness. Hezekiah says, as long as I've got peace, and stability in my day, I'm happy. Doesn't that sound familiar with where we are today? How many of us have experienced the power of God firsthand? Firsthand. We have encountered the very power of God. I don't know what your, your story is uh, all about, but I, I, I could probably go around the room and say, well, some of you experienced the healing power of God firsthand. Some of you have experienced the delivering power of God at, for, by firsthand experience. Some of you have seen God restore relationships and restore your dreams and bring all these plans about, and now your life is better than you ever thought it could be. Your life was messed up, and now all of a sudden life is good. You have experienced experience life, the, the life-changing, the life-extending, miracle-working power of God for yourselves. But how many of us are satisfied if even those that are coming after us don't have the same encounter? As long as my move is protected and perpetuated, then I'm happy. You don't think that happens? Why do you think there are so many churches in America right now that refuse to change? Why do you think that there's so many uh, fights going on inside of church buildings, even as we are meeting here today, fighting over styles and preferences and versions of the Bible to read from the pulpit, people getting angry over the silly stuff that doesn't really matter simply because they're more concerned about their experience and their encounter and they don't really give a rip whether or not the generation to come ever experiences God for themselves. I just want to experience God for me. As long as I get my buttons pushed, as long as I get my goosebumps, as long as I get my song sung, as long as I get my version read, as long as you do my style, then I'm happy. Don't change the carpet. Don't change the pews. Don't change the paint. Because I want to worship God until I die, but I don't really give a rip about the coming generation. And we experience God firsthand, but we don't think about the coming generation. Maybe we're more like Hezekiah than we are David. Out of this contrast, this glaring contrast of what David said we should do, and now Hezekiah comes and illustrates us the opposite, the antithesis of that. Now, let me just make a couple uh, remarks to you to maybe challenge us as our clock starts to count down and there are people coming after us. Maybe, maybe, maybe I can challenge you a couple ways this morning. The first thing I want to say to you is this. I want to say somebody is watching you. 
All right, uh, do I have any 70s and 80s fans? Because I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, somebody's watching me, watching me, watching me. And so, so, some of y'all don't even know. Come on, sing it, Tari. Come on, help me. I had a, I had a moment when I wrote that down. I, yeah, 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 yeah. See, 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 he knows. See, the older folks know. That those of us that know what real music is about, we know, we know. We know, we know, we know. But there's truth in that. Somebody's watching us. There's a, there's a truth that I, I need to drive home to you that, be, that regardless of which of these kings you follow, whether you follow the standard set by David or you follow the standard set by Hezekiah, can I tell you this morning that your days will end, but your influence will not. Your days are going to come to an end. But the influence that you spread during those days will never come to an end. I can, the, one of the most vivid memories I have for us as a body, some of you didn't experience this, and I'm sorry, but, but, but about so eight years ago, maybe not that long, maybe, yeah, about eight years ago, maybe six years ago, I did something on a Sunday morning that I am never going to forget as long as I live. It was a dramatic moment. I preached a message. I don't even remember what I was preaching, but I, I, I did this illustration. I picked certain individuals in the body, and I had them stand up. And, and I asked this question, and when they stood up, I said, if, if so-and-so, uh, I called a gentleman, and I made him stand up, and I called him by name, if so-and-so, uh, over the next year of his life, if he backtracks, and he gives up on God, and he fails, and he, and he turns his back on God, how many of you will be devastated? How many of you will be impacted? How many of you will, that would hurt your heart and make it difficult for you? And I watched uh, literally the entire congregation rise to their feet. And I did that over and over again. I'll never forget that because what it illustrates for us is that we all have influence and that people are watching us. You cannot escape the fact we want to live like our life, like we're on an island and what I do doesn't really matter and it doesn't really hurt anybody else and it doesn't really impact anybody else and it doesn't really influence anyone else. But the truth is you're not on an island, so don't fight the follow. Paul comes to this place where he understood this to, to such a degree that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he makes a profound statement. He says this, follow me as I follow Christ. Do you recognize what he's saying? This is a profound principle. He is literally saying that if you will follow me, I will get you to Jesus. If you will walk in my steps, you will wake up one day and you will be in front of Jesus. Y'all, are you getting it? Follow me, and I will live my life in such a manner, with such integrity, with such character, with such purpose, that as I take my steps every day, I am literally leading you on a path to Jesus. And you thought you were following me, but when the end comes and my days are over, my influence has impacted you, and suddenly you're not a follower of Paul anymore. You're a follower of Jesus. So my question then is this, can you say that about those that are following you? Because somebody's watching you, watching you, watching you. You can't get away from it. They're watching you at Starbucks. They're watching you at the bank. They're watching you in the restaurant. They're watching you driving down the road. They're watching you when you walk into your house. They're watching you when you walk out of the house. They're watching what you do at work. They're watching what you talk about. They're what? 
Which means, leads me to the last challenge, and that is this. You will leave a trail. You can't help it. Each and every one of us are trailblazers. Our lives lead those after us somewhere. And remember, all of us are being watched. doesn't matter whether you have natural children or not. Paul said his trail would lead to Christ. Where will your trail lead? If, if we're going to lead, uh, lead a life that lives up to David's standards, then we will lead the next generation according to what he instructs us. He says to, to lead the next generation, check this out, he says lead the next generation to keep the commandments more faithfully than you did. That's what he says. He challenges the Israelites to, to, to teach the next generation to keep the commandments at a greater level than they did. So here's the truth that I want to share with you this morning is if you follow David's instructions, you will lead someone. You may not even know it. You know that's how this works, right? Some of you don't even know people are watching. You may not even know it. But as you're living your life with integrity and character and purpose, people are watching you that you don't even know are watching you. And all of a sudden, you lead them by your example and you blaze a trail and they follow you into a deeper relationship with God if you follow David's example. But if you follow Hezekiah's example, then we don't, lead a, we don't leave behind a trail of bread. We leave a trail of bondage. Because David says, what I want you to do is I literally want you to leave a bread, a word trail that will lead the next generation to me. But Hezekiah says, no, I'm going to blaze a trail that will cause the next generation to wind up in bondage. Okay. How many of us... Hezekiah gets the word that his children will become slaves and they will become eunuchs. He trades their future for his fun. He, he accepts his peace even though the price is their pain. He, he embraces ease on the back of their enslavement. So how many of us live like that? We are purchasing our happiness, but in so doing, our children's future is at risk. We, we get what we want, but their destiny is not only delayed, their destiny is completely and totally derailed. But we got what we wanted. Hezekiah doesn't even blink at the fact that his pro the prophecy said, your children will become eunuchs, unable to be fruitful. Let me bring that home and then I'll get out of your way. Because I want you to understand that we are blazing a trail and, and we have this ability to live our life in such a way that we cause the next generation to wind up being eunuchs. We need to understand that we can lead a trail that will cause those coming after us to become spiritual eunuchs. Let me, show, let me, let me explain. If, if we view our relationship with God and with the church as optional, 
we will lead them to being unfruitful spiritually. It's quiet up in here. If we view our relationship with God as no longer our priority and it's, it's a duty rather than a delight, we will lead the next generation into becoming spiritual units. They will not be fruitful. If, 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 if the generation after us doesn't see us worship, if they don't hear us pray, if they don't see us read, if what we say in here is not the same thing we say out there, if what we do on Sunday never shows up again until the next Sunday, then we are blazing a trail that will cause the next generation to be spiritually unfruitful. Our trail can lead them to becoming financial eunuchs. They can watch us as they can watch how we spend and they can watch how we don't save and they can watch as we steal the tithe and we can, they can watch how we steward and they can watch what we value and they can watch as we make things idols that shouldn't be idols and all of a sudden when our days are numbered and our days are coming to an end, the next generation, generation will care much more about cars and houses and clothes than they ever care about people or care about God. And they will be financial eunuchs in bondage. We can lead them to becoming emotional eunuchs. If we won't let our walls down and if we hold people at a distance and if we don't model accountability and if we refuse access and if we resist vulnerability, then those after us will become emotional eunuchs or, or relational eunuchs and all of a sudden now they will battle. I, see if this sounds like some of the generation coming behind us now. Now they will, they will be uh, active on Facebook and they have 4,000 friends but they don't have any real life friends and they become isolated and they become lonely and they begin to fight depression and they begin to fight all these things that generations before them didn't fight simply because we've led them down a path that leads them to being relational eunuchs and they don't know how to get along. Those coming after us will either follow a trail to bondage or we can lead a trail to bread. A trail of bread that will lead them to life. The only way I know to, to illustrate this is like this, is, is we live our life like this. We, we look at the generations coming after me and we say, hey, you want to know how to handle tragedy? Watch me. Though he slay me. Yet, will I trust him? I've never seen the righteous forsaken or the, 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 the begging for bread because I, I'm leaving a word trail for you to know how to, to, to live your life when things don't go the way. You want to know how I handle injustice? Let me leave you a little bread because what I want to tell you is that I've never seen God take a bruised reed and break it. I, I, I've seen God respond to the orphans and to the widows and he comes to those that are broken in their spirit and they're crushed and he's close to them. That's how we deal with injustice. Want to know how to worship? 
Watch me lift my hands in the sanctuary. Watch me lift up my head where redemption's coming from the hills when I worship him and spirit and truth. If you want to know how to worship, watch me. You want to, you want to know how to deal with your finances? Then this is what I'm going to show you by the bread trail that you cast your bread on the waters and it comes back multiplied and you deposit your goods into the treasury of heaven because where my treasury is, my heart is will be there also. So I put my trust in him. If you want to know how I deal with things when people hurt me, I turn the other cheek. I pray for those that despitefully use me. I, 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 I don't strike back. I give them grace because great grace was on us all. All I'm doing is leaving a bread trail. I'm trying to show them how to deal emotionally and I'm trying to show them how to deal in worship and I'm trying to show them how to use their money and I'm trying to show them how to use their goods and I'm trying to show them how to deal with it so that when the end of the day comes and my life is over and I'm no longer here, my life is gone but my influence is not gone. So my children will walk after me and say, I don't know what to do in this situation but I watched dad and my dad showed me that when people speak bad about me, I don't defend myself. I look to God because he's a strong tower and the righteous can run into him and be saved. Oh, and I don't know how to invest my money and I want to buy certain stuff, but I watched my dad wait when I didn't, when he didn't really want to wait. And I watched my dad tithe when he didn't think he could afford to tithe. And so now I'm blessed and I'm fruitful because I'm watching the trail and I wanted to know how to worship. Well, all I had to do was watch my mom every day of my, of my life walk into a house after a long day of teaching when things aren't like I wanted them to be and throwing up my hands and calling on the name of God and singing it is well with my soul it is well with my soul and so they know how to worship and they know how to have relationship and they know how to deal with their, their situations and when tragedy comes their head won't hang they'll lift their head and they'll understand that God is right there for that I am going to lead them to a, with a trail of God's word into freedom rather than saying I don't give a rip about the generation coming after me and I experienced God and I had a good time in church but I don't really no sir I'm leaving I'm leaving I'm leaving I'm leaving one step at a time one step at a time I'm just leaving a bread trail just leaving some bread crumb so that one day they find out that the path leads all the way back to God and they're there with me worshiping him can I get anybody in the house that would say I want to follow God and I want to leave a trail I want to leave a trail. I want to leave a word trail to him. This one, everybody stand up. Everybody stand. What I want you to do this morning, some of so some of you are going to have to move out of your comfort zone. Some of you don't have natural children in this house. I'm a, I get it, but you, but somebody, somebody's watching you. You have a responsibility that if you're going to live up to what David said, there are people around you in this congregation that don't feel like they have anybody to follow, so they're following you. They're following you. How did I get this microphone in the first place? I followed the bread trail. They're watching you. And so some of you feel like, orphans and like you're all by yourself but you're not and so you're going to have to move out and find spiritual children you say well I'm, I'm not older than them doesn't matter age has nothing to do with it 
For those of you that have children in the, in the room, I want you to get them quick. Get them. Get them. Pull them over. Uh, grab them. I, I'm almost tempted to go empty ch- kids' church out, but have you ever tried to herd cats? If you don't have natural children, I want you to look around and I want you to adopt somebody real quick. Real quick. Adopt somebody. Nobody should be alone because none of us are alone. Nobody's alone. Teresa Shepherd, get up there. Y'all go up there with Jess. Go up there. You got, you got, a, you got one coming. Y'all too. Go, go too. She followed the bread trail. Where, where's Aaron P? Aaron, seeing, did he walk? I'm looking for a ball. I got it. Phil. Come here, Phil. Get up there with Steve Coleman. Who else is Barney, you got Miss Marge back there? Will you, will you help? Oh, you got Nikki too. Nikki, you and Barney and Miss Marge? Nobody by themselves? Hey, this, this, is, this is a reality. Look, you want to know how I learned to deal with tragedy? Seriously, you want to know how I learned to deal with tragedy? I watched him. I watched him. That's how I learned to deal with tragedy. I had a good idea from my old parents, but when it happens in your lifetime, the only way I can figure out how to do it is to watch him. That's how I learned. How did Esther Nix learn faithfulness? She watched the bread trail. Why are her children and Danny's children in ministry? Because they watched. Why are the Magbys all in church? Not today, but all in church. Not here anyway. I don't know where they are, but that's all right. I ain't ain't busting their chops. They're here most of the time as one big family. Why? They watched the bread trail. Y'all don't know the whole story. I I know Brett's dad's story. They, all he did was follow the bread trail, and now his kids, he and Miss Linda, are leading their kids. On. Do you understand what I'm saying? Our days are numbered. Our days will end. Our influence will continue. We have the choice. We either lead them to bondage, or we lead them To bread that will sustain them but not just for this next generation but for generation after generation after generation I want you to take the hands of the people that you're with this morning natural family spiritual family and I want you to make a covenant with one another that together you will lead your life 
in such a way that it will outlive the people in this room, all the people in this room. Because it's not enough that when my parents are gone, that I keep following. And it's not even enough that when my parents are gone and I'm gone, that my children keep following or Stephanie and Gary's children keep following. We want to live this thing so that generations to come that we don't even know about can point back and say it started way, 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 way back then. Father, this morning I pray, I thank you for those in our lives that we followed to your word. I thank you, Father, that there were people in our paths that blazed a trail of faithfulness and fruitfulness and an encounter with you and it changed their life. But Father, now I I ask that we would not become satisfied with their encounter with you, that we too would experience your power firsthand. But then it would go beyond that. We wouldn't become selfish about that. We would begin to leave a trail that our children's children's children can follow to you. Father, I'm praying for every person in this room this morning because every one of us have influence and every one of us are leading people somewhere. People are watching us. They watch us when we do business. They watch us when we buy things. They watch us in our attitudes. They watch us. And we don't want to lead them to bondage just because we've been blessed. So this morning, Father, I pray that you would challenge us and we would begin to learn how to leave a bread trail, a a trail of word that, that our life would be based on your word so strongly that when we're dead and gone and our numbered days are over, that the following generations will have a path that leads to the cross, that leads to the throne, that leads to relationship with you. And they can point back and say, the the trail I'm following, I didn't figure this thing out on my own. I followed somebody. I pray my children would have an encounter with you firsthand. I don't want them to sit around and talk about the good old days. And I don't want them to sit around and talk about my parents' experience and my parents did this. Father, I'm praying you'd give them a supernatural encounter with you to the degree that they will be able to tell their children, I followed my parents to this, but I had an encounter for myself. And now I'm telling you not only about what grandma and grandpa and great-grandma and great-grandpa encountered, I'm telling you about what I encountered. And I pray that the generations after us would follow more faithfully. They'd follow more blessed. They would follow more fruitful than we ever did. But I pray that they would get there by our example. I pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for every person in this room that does not have a natural offspring in this place right now. I pray that they would recognize that their influence is just as important and just as widely cast as those with natural children. And we would live our lives with one another. One another. So that you would teach us. Teach us how to walk through tragedy. Teach us how to walk through blessing. Teach us how to walk through persecution. Teach us how to walk through being uh, spitefully used. Uh, Teach us how to handle our finances. Teach us about what really matters. And then let us grow up to the place where we can say this. If you'll follow me, 
If you will follow me, I will lead you to Jesus. And while you're following me, it will be just like Jesus is right there in front of you and you're walking towards him by my lifestyle, by my example. I pray that you would do this so that when our days are over, our influence will remain. I ask you to do this. In the name that is strong from generation to generation, I ask you to do this in the name of the one who gives life to generation to generation. I ask you to do this in the name of the one that provides mercy that endures from generation to generation. May we inspect our walk so that we recognize that we're being followed in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, amen. Would you do this? Would you turn to the person you're praying with right now? And would you just say, hey, I'm watching you. I'm watching you. Come on, tell them, I'm watching you. 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 I'm It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.